Hello, listeners. Thank you for checking out this first episode of Bad Dylan. We've got an extremely good episode for you here. I just wanted to quickly say that if you like what you hear and want to help keep this podcast afloat, you can support the show at patreon.com slash baddylanpodcast. We would super appreciate your support, and you'll get access to a bunch of hilarious, weird bonus content that we made, as well as some other awesome perks. That's patreon.com slash baddylanpodcast. Without further ado, thanks so much, and here's your episode. I'm in love with the ugliest girl in the world. Her eyebrows meet. She wears secondhand clothes. She speaks with a stutter and she walks with a hop. I I don't know why I love her, but I just I just can't stop. Okay, hey, you're listening to Bad Dylan, a podcast about Bob Dylan's mistakes. Uh, the concept here is that for every, every day for a week, we subject ourselves to one abominable Dylan record and then discuss our thoughts. (laughs) I am, I am Nicholas Naoti. I'm Matt Lawhead. And I'm Justin Hickerson. And we are your humble hosts of Bad Dylan. For some context for the listener here, the three of us are basically lifetime friends we've all been friends since we were kids and we're all equally dylan fans very very much so so we're not just over here trying to make fun of bob this is actually kind of an earnest attempt for all of us to collectively possibly better understand it uh but this is all a stretch of dylan's catalog that we've all kind of voluntarily ignored and pretend it didn't exist. <laughs> and this week, we are talking about Down in the Groove. This Down is episode the... one of Bad Dylan, and this is the 1988 classic, Down in the Groove. Classic. And it is a classic indeed. It's this classic. is Dylan's 25th studio album. <laughs> uh, his second consecutive album to receive almost unanimously negative reviews. Uh, the... <laughs> And I think we, uh, at least us three, know why at this point. Yeah. The we, recordings come from half a dozen disparate recording sessions over six years. Uh, Robert Christgau of Consumer Guide wrote, Where self-portrait was at least weird, splitting the difference between horrible and hilarious, these songs are indistinguishable, immersed in that patented and now meaningless one-take sound. Christgau <laughs> would later call Down in the Groove a horrendous product. Rolling Stone in 2007 rated Down in the Groove, Bob Dylan's worst album of all time. In 2017, the magazine added that Dylan fans will forever argue about the precise moment when his career hit rock bottom, but most pin it somewhere around the time that Down in the Groove landed with a thud in record stores (laughs) in May 1988. But, like, and that's hilarious, but, like, over six years of recordings, though, he had been slipping for a long time. It's, he'd been slipping since the late 70s, it sounds like, if he's been... Uh, it took six years to record these bad songs and get him out on an album, you know? True, well, true. I'm pretty sure the reason the... Well, one of the reasons that the um, sessions were so dispersed was... Wouldn't this have been the time he was doing a lot of stuff with the Wilburys? They could have been going. Let's see. Okay. Uh, oh, I've years also- active nineteen eighty eight to nineteen ninety one. Oh wow! So this is the this came out the year that Traveling Wilbury started. This is just pre. So this was pre- Dylan's farewell album, <laughs> <laughs> or more like a fuck you album. Like I'm out. Peace. <laughs> So Justin was going to share with us uh, some historical context of what was going on in music in 1988 in America. Yeah. So this album came out in early 1988, in May of 1988. And so for the top 100 
1987. These would have been the biggest songs uh, of the time. Number one song in the country was uh, Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bangles. And uh, looks like we got some Here I Go Again by Whitesnake, number seven. Ah, hate that song. Um, Moni Moni by Billy Idol, which sounds like, you know, thinking about it, that album, that song could have fit well on this album. Well, you make me feel money, money. Na, 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 na. Um, I Want bad. Your Sex by George Michael was number 24. Oh, yeah. Wow. George Michael Wants Your Sex. That sounds too bad. I mean, that's really, to think, I imagine George Michael and him wanting yeah. my sex. And <laughs> yeah, we also had, too, too bad for I, him. <laughs> I, think, I Think We're Alone Now by uh, Tiffany. That's a that's the musical climate that was surrounding the release of this album. Okay, so now that we have the context, uh, we can talk about what it's been like to listen to this boring blues rock album for eight days in a row. Do you guys have? Uh, I ask you guys to con- to potentially come up with three adjectives to describe this album. Matt, what are your what are your three adjectives? Um. I came up with, I have a bunch of them, but uh, if I had to pick the top three, uh, sloppy, um, I want to say cynical too. Does cynical fit here? Like, I just don't think he gave a shit about this album and he just threw some crap in there, not giving a crap whether, what, how it was going to turn out and stuff. So that to me seems pretty cynical. Uh, What's a, what's a word for really missed the mark? What's a, you know, like he just, I don't know if what he was going for, but whatever he was going for, it didn't land. So come up with an adjective that says that. And that's how I feel about it in so many words. Uh, All right. Justin, you got three adjectives for us? I put a, a absent, kind of like, like uh, same same as Matt. Like he just did not give a shit was not present in you know any of any of the process of any of this monotone it was very monotone there is not very there's a couple like ups and downs but there's definitely far from what i would consider peaks and valleys there's very very little dynamic oh i also was just gonna say gray that was my third one just gray. It's a very colorless. <laughs> yeah, gray. <laughs> dull. You know, it's a very gray yeah. album. <laughs> those are great. Those are great adjectives, and I agree. I agree with all six so far. Uh, mine are uh, incongruous uh, because there's just no there's no through line. There's nothing. Com- there's it's it's completely uncohesive. But that's not un- uncohesive. Is not one of my adjectives. Incongruous is. Uh, unfinished because it sounds very unfinished. Most of the yep. songs don't seem totally done uh, and incoherent because uh, there's just yeah, there's no heart, there's no soul. It's just missing something. Do you think when Bob, old Bob, was putting these together? Let's say he's getting ready to go on tour with the Wilburys and uh, he has a contractual obligation. I don't know if this is all hypothetical. Do you think that these were his, like, because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that he has a treasure trove. By the 80s, he has a treasure trove of unreleased but recorded sessions and tracks to put out. Do you think he was just saving the good ones for a later time, or these were the ones he actually picked on purpose for a release, for an album release, or was they were just the easiest to release. Like, what do you think his thought process was when choosing these session recordings? I think one would have to consider the time and place of this album. Cause this is where we're just beginning, but this was 1988. This was toward the end of a very long line of really, really bad and forgettable albums. So this proverbial treasure trove, had been like a decade dry and just like drip dried, you know, wrung <laughs> out. There, there really probably wasn't much left in 1988 because that just wasn't a particularly profound period. It was profoundly 
bad. He was exploring a whole different planet that we're all going to go visit here in the next uh, little bit. But I don't, I don't think there was a treasure trove of Dylan songs left at this point. This was the bottom, I think. I think this was the bottom of Dylan's career, rock bottom. It might not be the worst album. We might not conclude that this is the worst album, but I think this was probably the worst point of his career. Yeah, I don't know. Just something about it seems like by 88, and maybe he had good recordings, but they were like not from the same era or the same style. Maybe it would have sounded weird on the album to choose another style of song from another one of his eras that he just had ready, but... Surely these were not the best, like ready to release record. It almost sounds like he needed to feel an obligation. He was doing other stuff, and he just like called up a producer, or someone he works with, and he's like, "Hey, let's f- find some stuff, okay? What can we release? What what is legally okay to release? And we're gonna make a profit on that we already have <laughs> yeah. ready to go. You know? Yeah, it does not seem intentional." But that is a good segue into, after having like uh, critiqued it uh, with the adjectives, like we, we kind of have an opinion on where we think this album came from, but how did it make you feel listening to it both the first and the first few times, and how did, how did it make you feel when we listened to it together for the last time, and you don't have to listen to it ever again if you don't want to? Do any of you guys think you'll ever bring this back up and listen to it for any reason at all? Here's the thing. I think it, it by the end of the week, it started, there was a f- day six, it almost felt like a worm blanket. Uh, like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like the music. I don't like listening to it, and I dreaded putting it on. But then once it was on, it was like, oh, this is familiar. And maybe I'll have some nostalgia for this period of, of infancy of the podcast. Come back to it at some point. I think I probably will um but definitely not as a like man i'm really in the mood for this album and i want to listen to it for like satisfactory needs it's almost like sometimes i used to go into like youtube vortexes of like worst kiss performances or you know like just like bad 80s music in general so it's kind of a what is that? A sadist or a masochist who like like masochist to punish is one to punish yourself? Yeah, I think like like I'm just I'm not in the mood for this album. I'm just in the mood to hear something I don't like and just kind of be pissy about it. But um, or or to show it to someone like as a as an exhibition. Mm, You've maybe got to, to hear how bad this is. You know? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> if that, there's very few people in the world I could show this to. I just point them to this podcast and say listen to it yourself if you want to beat yourself up. I, I don't know. For me, my <laughs> feelings like I was excited to start it because you guys know I'm an aficionado of bad movies. I like bad media uh, for lots of different reasons, not for the media itself. But I it, it beat me. It won. Uh, after day three, I started noticing a, a sort of a, me- a defense mechanism, starting a, a sort of numbness where I could kind of be present to listen to it, but also disconnected from it. I wasn't really hearing it anymore. And then I noticed that around day five, so I got re- tried to just actually listen to it, and it didn't get easier for me. It uh, The stuff I didn't like, I really didn't like by the end of it. And the stuff I did like... I was starting to see cracks in the veneer a little bit. Uh, I, I couldn't really appreciate them like I did like on a first listen where you're not hearing every little detail at this point. Now I was listening to like all the background uh, vocals and all the different instruments being played. I, I could it was familiar. And so like the attitude mandolins were just grating uh, that bass <laughs> vocal on 90 miles an hour or whatever. <laughs> Just like oh, I would, I didn't have any patience for it anymore. So for me, I was probably the most happy to listen to it at the very end because I'm not going to listen to this album ever again. Um, I'm gonna put "Death Is Not the End." I'm gonna put Is my that top a promise? Two. Are you making a solemn promise? To I yourself promise you, right I will now? never listen to this all the way through in its entirety ever again. 
Um, yeah, this is. I, I'm really grateful to never have to listen to this ever again. I felt an obligation to you guys for the last week to listen to this every day to keep up my end of the deal, and I will keep up my end of the deal. Uh, but boy, it sucks. The thing, the difference is this was a hard bad, start, man. Ba- it's it's this not is a hard good. start with, with with bad movies. It's like laughably funny, and this is not bad enough to laugh at. It's just un. It's mostly just unremarkable. It's just bad in a way that's not super funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, ugliest girl in the world is like kind of funny, but not in the way it was intended. Yeah, and Sally Brown too, just for the backup vocal. Like, there are things you can kind of attach to. That's what I ended up liking the most is when I caught like, oh, that lady has no idea what she's singing. And then there's kind of funny, like a bad movie can be funny. But you're right, for the most of it, it's just generic, unremarkable, bad. I I I, I found it funny and interesting to be like, you know. In general, upon first listen, it, it obviously is like, man, this is so bad. And then with subsequent runs of it, like actually trying to dissect the sounds that you're hearing, isolating it, each instrument, and realizing that sometimes they just all actually sound bad. They're played poorly. <laughs> they're out of tune. They're out of sync. You know, and it's just, yeah. uh, you know, and it's like actually delivered bad <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like what is bad. Te- technically like from like a musician's technical standpoint this is technically bad musicianship yeah i think this is just the product of like when you practice with a bunch of bands throughout the years you know and it's always good like oh yeah record your practices maybe you'll hit lightning in a bottle and you'll want to have that recording <laughs> but then you didn't ever hit lightning in a bottle for almost 10 years and you just got a bunch of sh- like junk laying around on tape on big master tapes you're just like gotta release bob we really need we really need to clear this tape man (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) just like no one performing thought anything on this album was gonna be on an album in public yeah yeah so uh my last week was uh ups and downs the first day i was like oh this this is bad but it's mercifully short. This album is 32 minutes long. Um, day two, I had a an actual feeling of nausea uh, <laughs> when that first shit-eating harmonica note came on. Um, and then day three, I actually started the album and turned it off after that harmonica <laughs> note and had to wait a few hours. It was just too shitty. Uh, day four, I woke up with songs stuck in my head, started having the song stuck in my head all day. Uh, for some reason on day four's notes, I wrote down, sometimes humans are born with two heads. I don't know where my head was at when I wrote that. Uh, <laughs> took you there. I was taken away, I guess. But think about that. So think if you had two heads, just think about that for a second. Anyway, uh, day five, um... I felt started to feel like a warm blanket, like kind of like, uh, what is that where you start to like your uh, kidnapper? What is that? It's uh, oh, Stock Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess something like that. Uh, day six, I didn't write anything. Day seven, I didn't write anything. I just reached a point where I was like, I don't know what else to say, but I was dreading it. Uh, tonight, I was I was kind of excited to listen with you guys for the solidarity factor, right? There becomes a point where it's unnecessary to really use any more energy digging up reasons to make this album interesting. At some point, you know, you start crossing that line of like, I give more of a shit about how this album sounds than the people performing it did, <laughs> you know. And it's not it's just not worth that much, you know. Just sit there and listen to it and be like so bad. And it's not even a lot to unpack. <laughs> Let's go through and talk about each song. Let's go song by song and talk about 1988's Down in the Groove by Bob Dylan. Well, he bizarrely started it off with a Let's Not Divorce for the Kid album or a song. One of the strangest choices for the first track. It doesn't bring, like, there's nothing, when I first heard this song and learned what it was about, I just was like, this doesn't put me in the mood to enjoy an album. It's kind of like a sad downer, you know? 
Yeah, so song one, Let's Stick Together, is a chaotic blues rock song. And listener, if you want a feel for what this album sounds like, I would encourage you to just listen to the first five seconds of this song. There's a, uh, a sour harmonica note, just this shit-eating harmonica note that comes in right at the start. And that's, that gives you a sense of what you're in for. Yeah, it kicks off with a real nice paper snare. <laughs> and I, I also agree. I thought this was an appropriate opening track for the album. It sets the mood really well. And that mood is, and I think we all commented on this at one point in our notes, but it's kind of hard to figure out from the opening song what he's going for here. Like, what exactly are you trying to do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what, what album am I going to be listening to with yeah. uh, the sad Let's Not Divorce for the Kid song? I just don't, I don't know. It puts me in kind of a downer mood, and then I don't really want to hear the rest of what's going on after this you know and yeah. for good reason i found i find later on there's a lot of good reason to not want to continue <laughs> yeah it's a warning it's a warning sign <laughs> yeah, exactly it's a, yeah it's a, a warning buoy yeah. watch out sharks beyond these waters watch out you know <laughs> yeah uh not a good song um the the way it ends in particular i find completely confounding it both ends like a blues song with the da 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 da, but also it fades out at the same time. You so don't get that end climax note, you know? It's, it's already too quiet by the time you hear the end note of the song. Yeah, and. it's it's absolutely unsatisfying and <laughs> a real baffling decision from the production standpoint. They must have been covering something up there at the end. There must have been some reason why they had to fade it out. Well, it was. It might not have ever been intended to be the final cut. It was like kind of a run through, and maybe perhaps on that none of part- these songs were ever meant to be the final <laughs> cut the version that we're hearing. I don't think any of these. These were practice sessions that he was going to go back and really do eventually. But I guess he got in the traveling Wilburys and. Uh, yeah, this, I've got, I will I've got an obligation to my uh, my record company <laughs> to release an album. Yeah, it's this like is, a contractually obligated thing he was not into. Um, I will agree, though, that it's a good first track, setting it up what you're going to hear, because the production value is lazy and sloppy and uninspired. Uh, none of the players playing are very tight or uh, engaged, it seems like. Bob Dylan doesn't seem engaged. Yeah. It's like uh, very uh, mediocre bar rock. It's like if you heard a band in a bar that sort of knows the song they're playing, that's what this album sounds like. <laughs> so moving along, song two, When Did You Leave Heaven, is a uh, moody, slow song carried mostly by a minimal synth and drum parts, uh, with Bob very drunk, muttering out some <laughs> shit about angels. <laughs> drunk or on like cough syrup or some other like sleep inducing medication uh yeah some kind of depressant for sure he's just like kind of uh mumbling along on this one except for that nice bridge where things are kind of elevated up in tone and uh is that this one that I'm thinking of, where uh, there's that nice I little think part? That's, where... I think that's death is not the end. Oh, you're absolutely right. This that brings up a good uh, thing about this album is once I'm we just we literally just listened to it before starting this recording, and already my brain wants to just throw it away, throw that memory <laughs> of it away, and yeah. like it's unnecessary space to be using in my brain. We need that for something else. It sounds like somebody was tasked with playing drums on this song and didn't know the the rhythm of the song. And so the drums don't really feel right for a lot of the song. And then at some point, it sounds like the drummer just stops playing and then the song just ends. And it's just like the guitar player just starts playing random stuff. And then it's not, this song just sounds very unfinished 
to me like it's like one third finished yeah and i'll add to that this isn't really bob dylan's fault uh but the lyrics are also just kind of silly and straightforward and not like wealth he's just asking basic questions you might ask an angel that's like a where did you where do you leave your wings can you get back in it's like <laughs> it's not saying anything poetic about angels <laughs> yeah. whatsoever it's just basic straight questions you might ask an angel you know when did you leave heaven huh like, well this is bob really trying to capture the mood of pondering this is thoughtful <laughs> dylan at 47 just completely burned out <laughs> Keep in mind that this is the man that won a Nobel Prize for poetry. <laughs> right. So moving along, let's talk about Sally Sue Brown. Uh, this is another forgettable, up, upbeat kind of blues rock song. This at least has uh, some features, comedy in it, though. I like some things about the production of this. It features the bass player from The Clash, interestingly. which Is it, that it Paul, Paul Simon on? <laughs> yeah, Paul Simon on. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, I read. I read. I was like, oh, Paul Simon on, but oh, pa- Paul oh, Simon no. on, <laughs> Paul, Paul Simon on bass, <laughs> Paul Simon on on bass, <laughs> blah blah blah, attorney. <laughs> uh, it's not a, the the bass part is not particularly interesting at all it's just a regular old 12 bar blues and just a regular bass part i don't know why i don't i guess it's not all that noteworthy that the bass player from the clash is on it well maybe that was uh, something they were they just knew they had a bad album here so they were just trying to like plug as many like relevant cameos as they could and it's still no, lit. I think that's the case because uh, on the it still didn't the, work. It's all it's you, all pretty right. bad. <laughs> on the there's you, this album has like Eric Clapton, Mark Knopfler, uh, Paul Simon on. Uh, <laughs> um, who else? It has so many people. Oh, it has uh, Jerry Garcia. Yeah, and then of course writers and stuff. Robert Hunter, uh, also from the Grateful Dead and things like that. He he collaborated with people on this somehow like some some really talented people really stunk it up for this one i'm sure they were all just uh like rolling their eyes and the tra- is like god this is what he wants to do with me this is a crap song for me that uh uh it, it does an obnoxious thing where the way it's recorded in the backup singer not knowing what she's singing and stuff it makes you listen to it really carefully even though it's a bad song and you don't want to listen to it i find myself really paying attention to this one because the background singers the oh parts are very funny um the woman that poor woman that's singing with old bob does not know the words or what she's singing and she's trying very hard she might not have even known who bob dylan was when she went to work this morning (laughs) (laughs) she might not have known that this recording was going to be on an album because i'll just like reiterate too: no one not even she was probably recorded (laughs) knew these were gonna be on an album at all none of these were ever meant to be album release tracks you know yeah, so as Matt pointed out, the backing vocals, which happen to be mixed like the loudest fucking thing in the song, are uh, she's not clear on the words. She's singing different words, and it's so distracting. It's hard to listen to. That's why. I, that's why I'm like listening so closely when I am listening to it because I want to hear what she's saying. I want to hear the parts where uh, uh, she fucks up uh, just to get a little bit of like. I don't know, humor out of the whole thing. I'm, I'm going through a bad experience, and I'm trying to f- scrape for anything that's going to bring me some enjoyment. And the, the production of this one especially, I find just funny. It's just a funny song. And I'll say this a hundred times during this podcast, I bet. But uh, any when Bob goes high energy, he, like the, his energy <laughs> is correlational to how goofy he sounds to me, you know. <laughs> and he does it on this one a lot. So high energy. I like the term because because high energy is distinguishable from excited. oh he's not excited on this album no 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 he's just he just gets a little high energy yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, moving along. Death is not the end. Uh, this is a slow dirge about the existence of an afterlife of some kind. Uh, it is the longest song on the album. It has a completely soulless vocal delivery, staccato, out of tune. Uh, again, uh, Bob sounds very drunk. It almost sounds like he is burping the lyrics. <laughs> This song, for me, is a is actually a, a highlight of this album. Matt, I know you tend to like this song a lot too. I, I agree. This is a highlight for me. It's not great, but I do. This is a song I would actually put on a very specific mix CD and listen to in my car, non-ironically. It still sounds like he's half asleep during the whole thing. And yeah, those staccato things that uh, he does with his voice that Nick brought up no. sound goofy. Yeah. Yeah. He might not have even he might he might have like just been reading these lyrics out of like a off a sheet of paper that he jotted down somewhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but the what's this the, what's the lyric about the law abiding citizen? Yeah, what this is, is this is the worst lyric on this album for me. And you search in vain to find just one law-abiding citizen. (laughs) Speaking of the lyrics, too, the very first line I find very funny, when you're sad and when you're lonely and you haven't got a friend, just remember that death is not the end. That maybe is supposed to sound comforting in some way. To me, it sounds like it's a threat. Like... You're sad, you're lonely, you don't have any friends. Well, even the end isn't the end. There's more of that to come, you know? <laughs> it's not a good song. Uh, it, it it has one of my favorite production moments on the album, which is the big volume increase when the bridge happens. It suddenly gets quite a bit louder, which is a str- another strange production choice, and it's not necessarily good, but it's interesting. It's more than I can say for most songs on this album. But in general, (laughs) I like the uh, I like the background singers in this song. Yeah, I I do too. The the oohs and ahs—they actually are tasteful. But I think it's because no one's trying to sing along with him. (laughs) The next song, "Had a Dream About You, Baby," uh, another hastily thrown together blues rock song. Uh, This one is one of my least favorites for its just general mediocrity. Like it's so boring. It's, it's generic, completely unremarkable in every way. It sounds like a like a like a, a talent show, like a high school talent <laughs> show. This is know? also one I didn't know this until now <laughs> that I'm actually looking at them. But because because usually this song, I'm like not. I can't really listen to it. It's just like boring. And but I'm now looking at the lyrics, and this is one that Bob wrote, and they aren't good lyrics. Like. <laughs> the joint is jumping it's really something the beat is pumping my heart is thumping spend my money on you honey my limbs are shaking my heart is breaking what does that mean what does any of that mean that is not good songwriting uh that's all all i can really think to say about this song and stuff. Uh, it's, it's really boring. boring uh now moving along to one that is Probably the worst Bob Dylan song ever written. We don't know that. Uh, We don't know that this is the worst yet. (laughs) We don't know that this is the worst, but uh, as of now, this is the worst Bob Dylan song I've ever heard. Uh, (laughs) Ugliest girl in the world. Um, It's another hastily thrown together blues rock song, but this one is exceptionally bad. Um, It's called (laughs) The Ugliest Girl in the World, and when I heard that, I thought it was going to be like, I thought it was going to have some twist to it. Like old country songs have like a twist sometimes. Like He Stopped Loving Her Today by George Jones um, gives you this sort of setup. And then at the chorus, there's like some twist that makes the song interesting. I was kind of hoping something like that would happen here. Mm -hmm. But this is just a song about a very ugly girl. There's that nothing. he'd still, I mean, not that you can, you can't be ugly and be loved, but like Bob never explains exactly why he stays with this lady. You know, she between all the physical uh, problems she has and her bad habits of like snoring and things, he never says. 
a nice thing about why he stays with her, really, you know? Verse one is the the woman that I love, she got a hook in her nose. Her eyebrows meet. Uh, she, she wears secondhand clothes. She speaks with a stutter. She walks with a hop. I don't know why I love her, but I just can't stop. It's bad. It's really bad. If this song were a good song, if it were a well-written song, like, let's say, John Prime... Uh, uh, in spite of ourselves, they say like things about each other, and then at the end of the line, there's a little heart and levity, and it's like, but we're we love each other anyway, and it's both it's both parties talking about each other, so not one person, it's not one sided. Oh, this is a terrible person I'm with, and I love her for some reason. Yeah, yeah. It's two people saying, oh, we're a quirky couple, but boy, we got the love. You know, that's a well written song. That I think this was trying to go for a similar sort of idea, but then doesn't execute on any of the nice heart or uh, pleasant things about that song, about In Spite of Ourselves, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it doesn't connect. Uh, at first, I was wondering if this was like meant to be relatable or if it's like actually autobiographical and he's just like shitting on whoever he's dating at the time or whatever no, like, i think this is clearly like a like the second or third divorce album for dylan and perhaps like it's uh it's aimed at specifically for someone like it might have been inappropriate to put it on an album that he actually released, but he really wanted someone to hear this song, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, it took me, I think, it took me, it wasn't until day six, I think, of listening that this was supposed to be an attempt at humor. I didn't, it actually just is so unfunny that it didn't connect that it was like an attempt at being funny. Yeah, well, and if you're just, li- if, if you were just a passive listener, it's a it's a pretty unremarkable song. It's very monotone, loud, just all in poor taste. Yeah, another <laughs> sloppy, rushed production. Not rushed, but just like every, it was a pra- everyone was practicing and not thinking we're performing for an album. <laughs> this bad song. Uh, yeah, it's not funny. If it was, I, I I didn't even realize. Okay, so this is how not funny it is. It took me until you mentioning that it might be supposed to be an attempt at humor before. Just now, I didn't even realize it might have been a humorous attempt. When a woman that I love, she got a hook in her nose. Her eyebrows meet you with a second hand close. She speaks with a stutter and she walks with a hop. I don't know why I love her, but I just can't stop. You know I love her. Yeah, it's it's not working. Is this the worst Bob Dylan song of all time? The ugliest girl in the so world. So far, it is. Yes, it is. A, and it is that is a likely yes. I'm gonna say yes. And I know there's still uncharted waters for each of us here. So yeah, there I've, there I've, could be a real stinker hidden down in there, but it would have to really really suck to be. You know worse what? I just thought this. of. Uh, Man gave names to all the animals from Slow Train coming. That's a really bad song. I don't know if was you that, guys know that. One. I don't, was that Slow Train or was that um? Uh, it's it's new on Slow Mo- Train or coming. not New Morning? The Good as I've Been to You. Uh no, it's from Slow Train coming. There's okay. some stinkers on New Morning too, for sure. But uh, anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there in time. <laughs> he saw milk coming out, but he didn't know how. Uh, number seven, track seven, Silvio. This is a collab with the Grateful Dead, including Jerry Garcia. Uh, it has that distinctive snare sound from all of the the Grateful Dead's '80s records. Correct. This is yeah. There is no paper snare in this. It's like a like yeah. It sounds like like the Grateful Dead. Like you yeah. This one also is kind of a bright spot for me. It's not a great song, but it doesn't 
bother me. I'm not actively bothered by it as I am some of the other ones. And in fact, this is the one. If I had a, if I had a bit of uh, this song in my, this album in my head, it was usually Silvio, uh, like waking up having to listen to Silvio in my head for the first four hours of the day. Yeah, me too. I I was getting this one stuck in my head a lot. I actually grew to really like it. Um, I wouldn't really advise listening to it, but. Yeah. Uh, I grew to like it. It did make it onto Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, Volume 3. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the line, I'm gonna f- I gotta find out something only dead men know. It sounds like it's supposed to mean more than it, I think it really does. It doesn't really mean yeah. anything to me. No, but you're right. <laughs> this song has some, uh, it's kind of a good song, and it's got, it's kind of a turning point. It's, to me, definitely the high point of this album. And it kind of is a turning point where, like, the rest of the songs sound okay after this. At least there's no, like, dumb, dumpy bar rock songs after this. So, <laughs> it I, to me, it gets better after this. I kind of disagree with that. But not to, I mean, there's still a couple dumpy songs. They're, they're, I'll let you finish your thought, but I just, like... That's not an objective thought that it gets better after this. So. Sure, no, that's just my opinion. And I did what I was what I like the caveat I would give with that is that I think this album has a strange it has a strange effect on perspective because <laughs> maybe by this by this point in the album I'm so exhausted, my ears are so exhausted that I'm just I'm just, willing to accept anything. Yeah. I'm willing to take anything. Well, and my standards get lower. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know for me personally, it's now we're now more than halfway through the album, and I kind of get a little uh, jazzed up just knowing, like, oh, it's almost over. You know, like I'm over the hump, exactly. and I feel good about that. We're we're past ugliest girl in the world, <laughs> yeah. and that's yeah. a huge moment. Exactly. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Because I've got the I've been spending a vinyl copy of it, and when I when I get up to flip it, I'm always like. Nice. I got like 15 more minutes of this shit. <laughs> yeah, Justin's been listening on vinyl, and uh, we uh, middle of the week I was texting the guys saying I'm I'm pretty worried about the effect this is going to have on my Spotify algorithm, and Justin was like, I'm just I'm just kind of worried about my turntable needle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just- it really got ground down in that groove. <laughs> All that crunch. <laughs> okay, so moving along. Uh, song 8, 90 Miles an Hour Down a Dead End Street. This is a very unnecessary gospel-esque <laughs> cover of an old country song. Oh, yeah. This uh, with is a really so weird. Bad. It's got a weird <laughs> synth bass, uh, which is a really n- another really strange production decision. I took you home. And we kissed in fun A few stolen kisses And no harm was done Instead of stopping when we could We went right on Till suddenly we found That the brakes were gone We're not really doing awards for this But I do want to give This This has an award I'm giving this the goofiest sounding Bob Dylan song award because of those goofy bass vocals, the bad synth, which to me, I don't, I don't even hear a synth. I hear it like uh, electricity buzz, like someone didn't have something grounded right in the studio. It just sounds bad, and Bob sounds equally goofy. Just everything about this sounds like it's a bad joke to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is another one of those where it sounds like he took too much cough syrup, too, before singing it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it sounds drowsy. Uh, the, the, as you pointed out, the, the bass vocals are bad. It's like attempting at some gospel-type stuff, but the weirdly, the bass vocals are mixed louder than just about anything else in the song. And those bass vocals really got texture on them too man like i don't know how else to say it but it's distracting it sounds like someone ripping off velcro to me i don't know it sounds like shit and uh the synth sounds like a fart (laughs) it actually sounds like a literal (laughs) fart at one point you hear like uh right at the beginning of the bridge it might actually just be a fart you know (laughs) (laughs) anything goes in these sessions man 
Maybe Bob had a little too much cough syrup and shit his pants. <laughs> uh, that's making that's staying in. That's art. <laughs> okay, uh, moving along. Song nine, Shenandoah, uh, folksy cinematic Americana song. The uh, it's got a mandolin part, which is once again out of tune and sort of poorly mixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, this album has a confusing effect on perspective, and as it goes on, my standards lower, and the songs sound better. Uh, but maybe actually, I don't know. Maybe side one of this album is actually just objectively worse. What, what are you I kind of like Shenandoah. I don't. I don't know the original version or any of the better known versions of this one. So um, I went with this without any context. Went into this song, and this is one of the ones that doesn't actively bother me. <laughs> That's a high compliment, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not good music. This this album is for completionists only. Correct. Right. Archival purposes. One hundred percenters. Uh, okay, moving along. Last song, song ten. Rank strangers to me. Uh, it's an acoustic kind of gospel esque cover of this sort of old bluegrass song. Uh, again, it's it's like kind of good, but it's hard to tell if my standards have just been lowered by the end of the album. He's really, really sounding like a grandpa <laughs> yeah. on this song at age 47. Oh, he's 47 in this? Yeah, he does sound... Man, that's so funny. Bob's been old for so long now that uh, I just pictured old Bob and it totally fit. But yeah, he would have been only 47. So he sounds Yeah, he was 47 when it came out, so 41 when he started working on it. And this is, I think of Dylan's singing styles in three sort of like three stages. There's one which is the the often uh, mocked sort of like 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 yeah yeah that's his first that's his first phase. Uh, second phase was like Nashville skyline, like literal Kermit the Frog sound. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, like uh, hey, lady, lady, true love of mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she Number three, though, final, final, final form. Dylan is just a regular frog. Sounds like an actual just frog. <laughs> and this is, I think, the first <laughs> album where he sounds kind of elderly. And like like a frog, yeah, he's full blown frog. But uh, between this and Nashville Skyline was uh, oh like the the Rolling Thunder review where he was like at the very end of still kind of being like rock and roll, and then the eighties hit and he started being singing like this. It's like a frog rat. <laughs> yeah, like frog, a frog rat phase. The ultimate form. Before we end it, I did want to ask you guys something uh, about this. Because I noticed, uh, while I I was looking at this, I looked up what ratings it had on different websites. And I wonder if you guys have any thoughts on this. It's a universally panned out, you know, Rolling Stones and all that terrible crap about it. On Amazon in particular, it has a 4.1 out of 5 stars, uh, generally. 50% of them are 5 star ratings and some of the comments on there are enjoyable and unpretentious uh this one doesn't come off as pretentious to people i saw that word a lot uh coming up like i guess and i know bob dylan can be pretentious but this one in particular sounded not pretentious uh this guy says another masterpiece uh I, oh, wait. Where's this one? Masterpiece. A, a revelation. This guy calls it a revelation. Um, Who are these people? Simply the best, RJ says. Uh, what? I don't understand where these guys are, where these people are coming from. And I wonder, like, why? Because everything else, the best you're going to get is like a three star, you know? Um, 
Yeah, very suspect. Very suspicious. Some of these, you should look at... I mean, don't look at it, because don't ever revisit this album again. But if you happen to go look at the top ratings on Amazon, some of these people are writing like four or five paragraphs about what they like about this album. How? I just like... We tried to. We were, were recording this podcast right here, and it's a forgettable, generic, bad album. And I struggled with things to say through parts of it. Okay, you know? my suspicion. Well, my first instinct is to think that they're like fake reviewers, like giving a good review so that that Amazon seller yeah. gets better, better uh, ratings or whatever. But I don't know. Then if it's many paragraphs long, that doesn't track. There are bad ones on Amazon. I got it on the five stars. And this one that says a revelation begins very like personal. Like, I never gave two hoots for Bob Dylan. Not two hoots. Then I moved into a new home. Blah, 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 blah. I love them both because I love them. I already have those two records. Like, he's talking like very honestly and humanly about this album. I found this per this person is the antithesis of us. It says when it comes to Bob Dylan's nineteen eighty five to nineteen eighty eight output, I constantly wonder if I'm the only person alive who gets it. <laughs> Down here, I think so. He for, might be. For, for, yeah. Further along, it says uh, Empire Burlesque, the truly awesome, knocked out, loaded, and down in the groove are lost treasures that I believe would mean more to people if heard without the preconceived idea that they suck. (laughs) 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 And if heard from the perspective of middle age as Dylan himself was at the time. (laughs) This guy gets it. I want to figure out who this is and get in touch with them. We need to have this person as a guest because his yeah, we his, need, his we three gems are the three stinkers. Those for me are <laughs> uh, in, in that three are likely going to be the worst of Dylan's output ever. Inc- incredible finds, you guys. Um, any, <laughs> any final thoughts on uh, on on uh, down in the groove? Uh, don't waste your time. That's that's my final thought. Don't waste your time. Down in a rut. One thing I was thinking, uh, as deep as as Bob Dylan fandom runs, I suspect we are in the top percentile of total listens to this album. <laughs> of this album? Yeah. I, I can almost guarantee We gotta be up there. <laughs> yeah. yeah a, real stinker. Yeah. We're coming out of the gate. Coming out of the gate, really real, stinky, real hot and stinky over here. <laughs> well, this was a real. Uh, I'd want. I'd want to say pleasure. That's not true though. This was a real experience. Uh, I like hanging out with you guys. Sorry that we listened to this album so much. Oh hey, uh, hey Matt Lawhead, would you would you recommend Down in the Groove to anybody? Uh, no, not at all. Justin, would you recommend the album Down in the Groove? No, I would not. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the third on that. I would not recommend Down in the Groove. I would not advise listening to it. It's not good music. I'm gonna give no. it two Bob You've Dylan got- phases out of five. Wow, that's generous. There's actually. a couple songs yeah. I kind of like on there. <laughs> yeah, we need a rating system. Maybe we'll come back and retroactively give this some kind of rating. Right. If I had to give it a casual, just a star rating, this would. On a on just a regular star scale would land in the one to one point five for me. <laughs> There's very little redeeming <laughs> qualities in this album. Yeah. So Nick, you might as well jump on the me. bandwagon. What's your star rating? I'm gonna say one point five. Right. Yeah. I mean that's a it's not a total one, but it's not a two for me. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks guys uh take care good luck love you all good luck don't listen to this bye. album bye hey thanks for listening to bad dylan um if you like the podcast give us a review give us a good review and subscribe and tell your friend rob about it if you didn't like it what are you doing what are you doing listening to stuff you don't like get out of here we'll see you next time